So one of the first things I started doing is going to health food stores to try to get recommendations from the clerk, like what would you take if you were trying to get a good probiotic? They would always point me towards a refrigerator. And I kept thinking to myself, like, why these bacteria in the refrigerator, right? Like it doesn't make sense. And then you start digging into it, you call the companies, you come to find out that the reason they're in the refrigerator is because the CFU counts drop from the label claim as they sit on the shelf, right? And some of these companies got sued by class action lawyers who would just go and pick up the product from the shelf, test it and go, haha, the label says 50 billion. There's only 20 billion. You've sold this in 25 states. Here's a class action lawsuit for false advertising and blah, 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 right? So then they'd have to settle out of court for millions of dollars. So these companies said, okay, we're going to put way more than 50 billion if that's the label claim and you put it in the refrigerator, it'll maintain the CFU count. Hello and welcome to the Health Detect Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We're speaking with someone who needs barely any introduction. I am going to give him one, but he doesn't really need one. You've definitely heard of this guy, and if somehow you have not heard of him, I know you have heard of the company he co-founded. His name is Kieran Krishnan, and he is the co-founder of Microbiome Labs. So that's Megaspore Biotic, Mega IgG, products that so many people in the functional space have come to love because this is a science-based company. They keep things clinically backed. They know what they're doing. Wonderful products. And if you are not in the FDN course yet, or you're a trainee, really good news. We actually get access to them as practitioners, and that means we get significant discounts on all their products. You're able to uh, drop ship it to your clients for an upcharge, which is great. Microbiome Labs, the one thing I really like about them, there's many things, but one thing in particular is that they don't allow customers to come on their website and just buy products. They actually make them go through a practitioner. So even if you know, I'm a consumer, I'm not a practitioner and I just want to buy these products, I would still have to find someone's website or find someone near me. I think it's cool that they do that because that's, you have to think about it. That's money that they are just purely giving to the practitioners for the sake of doing that. They do not have to do that by any means. I think that's really just a good thing. And I'm going to read a little bit about him, just a quick thing, before we get into this episode. He is a sharp guy, wealth of knowledge. This is more me just taking notes the whole time. Not literally, but basically, I am doing that mentally. (laughs) Kieran Krishnan is a microbiologist who graduated from the University of Iowa. And with a rich background in research, Kieran noticed that many supplement companies were lacking sufficient clinical data, which inspired him to design trials that were more affordable and fitting for the supplement industry. He then expanded his skill set into product development and formulation for a number of retail supplement companies. Eventually, he was hired to study probiotics and discover what would become the next big probiotic in the industry, Bacillus spores. Before Kieran discovered the spores, Dr. Tom, who was the other founder of Microbiome Labs, took a step back from supplement manufacturing and settled into his own chiropractic practice. 
As his practice began to blossom, he found himself on the forefront of functional medicine, uniquely focused on his patient's gut health. For years, probiotics had proven so ineffective and inconsistent that he eventually quit using them in his practice altogether. That is, until he saw the research that Kieran had uncovered. And boom, baby, Microbiome Labs was born. It is a massive company. They have done incredible things. And we actually talk about the growth that they experienced as a business from the time that the first product was launched in 2013 until now. This is insane. Your results may vary, <laughs> but it's pretty impressive stuff. And I think you're going to learn a lot today about probiotics in general, and especially spore-based ones, and why these are so effective compared to the stuff that we get at the grocery store or the health food store from the refrigerated section. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Hey there, Kieran. Thanks so much for being here with us today, man. It is a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is cool. This is um one of the in terms of just people making a real, real, some real noise in the industry, I would say this is one of the bigger people that we've had on. And we've had some impressive names. I'm not listening any of that. But I think I'm also biased, too, in a positive way, because when you get into the world of FDN, for those that might be looking at the course or are trainees, Microbiome Labs becomes a huge part of what we're doing. I, I was laughing with Kieran before we started recording. I can't even tell you how many um, times I've ordered from there, and my mom gets a huge benefit from it. So my mom, still to this day, Kieran, like I've been an FDN for five years, will not let me um, not order her the Megaspore because she will not use the bathroom otherwise. <laughs> and so if she's running out, she'll do it like two weeks proactively. She'll be like, hey, make sure you get that for me. Make sure you get that for me. So it's just That's you guys awesome. are, are really doing cool things. And it's impressive what's happening with these products. I think we have at this house right now, Mega IgG 2000, Megaspore, yeah. of course, uh, Pylor, uh, Pyloguard, excuse me, and then Mega Mucosa. So we always just have awesome. some stuff here. So thank you for what you've done. Um, but before we get into any of that, only because we have a lot of trainees that listen, I, I know you do a ton of podcasts, but I would love if we could just dissect some type of brief background from you. Because, again, some yeah. people are joining the world of FDN. They might actually not know who you are. They might know Microbiome yeah. Labs, but um, haven't gotten to meet you yet. So what's your background and how did you even get into this company and get like this started? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I also want to comment that, you know, based on what you said earlier, how the world of FDN is very familiar with us. Uh, I think that speaks to how brilliant the FDNs are. So, uh, you know, but but it's when what I found in general. So, and I have a lot of friends uh, who I have great respect for in the community that that are FDN trained, um, and they they really go through a critical thinking process about health and systems biology, right? So it's always been easy for us to speak to the FDN community because we are a very systems biology kind of company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so my background is as a research microbiologist and my initial research work in the academics was, uh, was around pathogenic organisms. So I worked on uh, Listeria, I worked on E. coli, uh, we looked at swarming and mutative E. coli's and so on. And that kind of starts to become the world of clinical microbiology, where you really focus in on pathogenic organisms, right? That's the most interesting area. That's the area that you can get most grants on and so on. And, and so it becomes easy to make a career that way. But, you know, one of the things that always kind of bugged me about it was that all of this focus that we put on these few pathogenic organisms you know, causes us to kind of negate the trillions of bacteria that are either non-harmful or beneficial, right? So, and that's just the world of clinical microbiology, clinical pathology, and so on, where you start looking at only the negative things. 
And I always wondered about what are the influences of these other commensal organisms and the ones that don't actually cause infection, which make up 99% or more of the bacteria that we encounter. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for me, the Human Microbiome Project kicked off back in 2005, 2006, which was great timing because I was really looking at kind of shifting my expertise within the world of microbiology, right? Um, so I very quickly dove into the world of the of microbiome research with the whole focus of, you know, uh, number one, trying to understand the microbiome and how it either conveys health or drives disease. Number two, what can we do about it, right? What are the tools we can develop and possess in order to modulate or influence the microbiome in such way that it ha it helps and provides a health benefit to, to an individual. Mm -hmm. So that became the origin of the company uh, back in 2012. We, we basically mapped out a course uh, that we would take from a clinical perspective on how to look at health problems, big and small. We became very focused on big problems with the first one being leaky gut, right? So we launched the company with the goal of resolving leaky gut because it became very clear even then that leaky gut was an underlying driver of most of the chronic health conditions that we see, right? And, and if you don't resolve your leaky gut, it makes, makes it very hard to make progress on these conditions. So that, that's, that's the origin of the company. And fortunately for us, we've stuck to our guns of letting research drive the bus, you know, investing heavily in science so that we properly understand our products, properly understand how they work. And we can actually utilize science to identify gaps in therapeutics so we can fill those gaps and create new things that really will help people get better. Okay. I think out of all the things you just said, I think the most amazing part because this is not, this wasn't known to me. So you only started this in 2012. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, wow. The product, the first product launched in 2013. So we're, we're on our ninth year. Um, you know, we've, we've scaled very quickly and we're actually, a, a very, say, yeah. <laughs> right. And we're a very grassroots company. We never took investment. Uh, we were never VC or, or private equity back. We didn't have any big investors. Um, we started the company with $80,000. That's all we had in 2013. And by the end of that year, we had almost burned through most of it, you know, but our, our, our mindset was that this was needed so badly, right? We saw a lot of nonsense in the probiotic industry. We saw many of the companies going the very marketing route of just more strains, more CFU counts, you know, refrigerated, special capsules, all kinds of stuff that really wasn't validated well with science. And, and none of these supplement companies were doing research on their products. They weren't yep. studying the probiotics or anything. They were just kind of assembling random products and putting them out there in the marketplace. So we, we truly felt that there was a need and we felt that health practitioners would feel that need more than anyone else because you guys have the skill set to vet products, right? And to really understand do they work or not. It's different than going after a consumer that's walking through a big box store and just grabbing a probiotic gummy, right? That's 10 bucks. Uh, we knew that our marketplace was health practitioners. We knew that we could illuminate for healthcare practitioners the gaps that it currently exists in how people are developing and utilizing probiotics. And we also knew that if we focus on science, that we would be successful, even though we stumbled a bunch in the beginning, right? Sure. So 
we just stuck to our guns and and sure enough it grew and and what was beautiful about it is um by 2017 so this is by the fourth year of being in business what we started to see was a, a an incredible surge of new practitioners that were coming on, uh, signing up for accounts and, and buying and utilizing products. And we, we surveyed them, you know, um, every time someone comes in and, or, or sets up an account. And 87% of the practitioners that set up an account uh, through starting that year said that they heard about us through a colleague, right? And, and not through advertising or any of that, because we didn't really have the budget to do any advertising or anything. And that was the magical moment to us because we were like, okay, we're putting out good stuff that seems to help people. And that's why practitioners are talking to each other about it, right? As you know, being a practitioner yourself, inevitably, if you find something that works, you're going to tell your colleagues about it because ultimately the goal of all practitioners is to help people, right? You're not competitive about it. You're not like, Ooh, I have this little secret that cures or deals with this disease. I'm not telling anybody, right? Yeah. Uh, inevitably, practitioners share that information, and that became an amazing aspect to the growth of our business. Awesome. Yeah, that's certainly not true in the functional space, thankfully. You know, we're mm-hmm. all about, I, I think one of the jokes that we always make is that one of the best things that could happen is that we go out of business. Now, we're nowhere near close mm-hmm. to that, unfortunately, but <laughs> right. the truth is, it'd be great if we didn't need all of these stuff. I mean, I, I kind of, it's insane to me to think about it sometimes because I'm a guy, I think I'm reasonably intelligent, but I'm not a guy with some advanced college degree in relevant areas like medicine or whatever. And yet people are coming to me with 10 years of health issues to get help. Like that's cool. And it's a privilege, but I don't want that to be the world. I want you to be able to go to the dang doctor and just, you know, you're a family doctor and actually get help for your chronic issues. So it's amazing what we get to do. But then yeah, at the other side, it's like, wow, all right, this really shouldn't be happening. And so it does create a really authentic and positive industry where, you know, if something works, we share it with everyone. It's you're right. It's not a hiding thing because there is no competition in a sense. And so now that I know when you guys actually launched the first product, it's even more impressive to me. I'm sure you guys expected it to do well. Otherwise, you wouldn't have started the company. But my God, I mean, uh, very few people could probably predict that, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> What's actually yeah, happened over absolutely. these last... You know, yeah. and, and, and to be frank, I mean, we, you know, neither Tom, who's my business partner, or, or I um, had built a product company at that point, right? We, we actually had other companies, but mine was in the research world and, and developing mm-hmm. ingredients and so on. Um, and, and then I had a number of consulting things that I was doing and he was actually doing kind of distribution to other healthcare practitioners from his time working in Europe as a functional medicine doctor. He started importing some products from Europe because they, they really helped his practice in Europe. And, but neither of us had ever created a brand product and and put it out in the market. So I would definitely say we didn't really know what we were doing, but we just (laughs) were driven by this, like belief and passion, right? And and one of the adages that, that we stuck with um, that, that I think has helped us a lot is we wanted to be disruptive and we wanted to do it differently than other companies in our space did, right? Starting, of course, from the, just the principles alone around focusing on the science, that's one thing. The second part of it is like anything that any marketing expert told us that we talked to during that time, we actually did exactly the opposite. Uh, you know, and we would, we would actually take interviews from marketing experts just to see what they say so that we could do the exact opposite. And we were so stubborn that way, but it worked. For example, the name of the, our flagship product, the probiotic megasporbiotic, right? 
we we had talked to at least three marketing groups when we were starting. We're like, we might need a marketing branding agency to help us. Um, every one of them said, you know, I understand your cool technology and all that, but whatever you do, don't say the word spore in mm-hmm. anything, right? Because they're like, people are going to think mold spores or anthrax spores, and you're going to kill your brand before you know it. And we're like, we're going to call it mega spore, right? <laughs> the biggest, scariest spore you can think of. So we did exactly the opposite of what all the marketing experts, because, you know, we're like, we want to invite the discussion, right? I want some doctor looking at me like I'm crazy going, what is this mega spore you're selling? Right. You know, that, that gives me a chance to talk to them. Right. So um, yeah, so we we were we were very disruptive. We did exactly the opposite of what all product and brand experts would say. Uh, colors as well. We went to a couple of these shows where you know healthcare practitioner companies are uh, ex- exhibit, um, and what we noticed was all of them were trying to go more pharma looking, right? Mm-hmm. White with just blue labels and just very clean look. Um, and so our first booth and product was pink and orange and just like every loud color you could imagine. Uh, so here are these two guys that were you know, unknown in the marketplace at that time, uh, standing there in front of this big pink, orange, bright booth that says spore all over it. You know, and then that, that was, that was our plan. We're like, okay, we're here to make some noise. So come talk to us. It must be amazing um, being one of those marketers that were on these meetings, right? And then like maybe months down the road, <laughs> they get a Facebook ad or, or, well, not a Facebook ad in your case, but you know what I mean, where it just says yeah. mega sport. It's like, all right, exactly. so these guys are jackasses, but hey, it worked for you. You guys have done an amazing job. And that's where I kind of want to transition because yeah. Kieran, I also know that, I mean, you can get incredibly technical because you're a pretty advanced guy. You've been doing this for a while, and I've seen some of your lectures. I was at that March Biohacking Congress, so I know yeah. how far we can get this. My goal today as the host is just trying my best to really know who is listening in our audience and, and serving them the best. So I hate for you to have to tone anything down, but it seems like you're pretty passionate about it regardless, which is a good quality to have, probably a reason why the business is doing so well. I just want to start with some of the basics for our trainees or people potentially looking into the FDN course. Like, What makes... Megaspore biotic different. Why is this different than the stuff I can go to at my health food store where I see 100 CFU, which is colony forming units for those that don't know, and it's got to be refrigerated and it's going to cost me 70 bucks or whatever it might be. How is this different? Because I think a lot of people, even as my clients were thrown off, they're like, okay, I have to spend like 55 bucks. I don't have to refrigerate this and I can just carry this around and it's going to be like the best one I can do. I'm like, I promise you, yes. So I'd love to hear, yeah, why is this different? And what are spore-based probiotics? I'll throw that in there as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, very important question. So uh, let's tackle the second one first. So a spore-based probiotic is really a uh, probiotic bacteria that has the, the capability of forming an endospore. And what that endospore means, it's basically when the bacteria is not in a favorable location for its own survival, what it can do is actually go into a dormant state where it's metabolically inactive. So it basically shuts down all systems. And then it wraps itself with a protein calcified armor-like coating to protect the cell structure, right? So, so it becomes this like, impenetrable little uh, little ball, little armored ball um, that is just sitting there and it can sit there indefinitely until the situation becomes more favorable. Um, the oldest bacillus spore and, and the genus of bacteria that we work with is called bacillus. If people aren't familiar, that all bacteria are classified as a genus and a species, right? So like lactobacillus acidophilus, acidophilus is a species, 
Lactobacillus is a genus. In this case, Bacillus is our genus. Um, the oldest Bacillus endospore that has been found was found in uh, Southern California, actually, in the salt crystals in a cave. And they were able to, you know, and scientists have been going deep into caves that have never been touched. The reason they're going deep into these caves is they're looking for molecules that may give them ideas or act as new antibiotics, right? Because as we develop more and more antibiotic resistance, we have to go look for new ideas. Of course, the first antibiotic came from an organism, from penicillium. And so we look to the microbial world to understand how you produce antibiotics because bacteria make antibiotics all the time. So they've been going to the, these deep recesses of these caves looking for new microbes to see if they contain any antibiotic capabilities. Uh, one of the classes of bacteria that they found in these salt crystals was a bacillus. Um, and they, they dated the bacillus to uh, over 250 million years old. And it was, it was basically suspended in the salt crystals because under that high sodium concentration where the bacillus got trapped, it's not a favorable growth environment. So it went into its spore state and got suspended there. They were able to remove it from the salt crystal, dissolve it out, and still played it. It was still alive, right, at, at 250 million years old. The other one was actually in the digestive tract of an ancient fossilized honeybee. The whole bee was fossilized in amber. They were able to pull out particulate matter from the digestive tract, one of those, one of the uh, things that they pulled out was a bacillus endospore that they were able to still grow, and that was 50 million years old, right? So these organisms have been around here way longer than we have, uh, and in fact, there's some evidence that maybe these organisms were the origin of cellular structure on Earth. There's this uh, theory called panspermia, right? Panspermia speaks about um, the the seeding of earth with basic cellular structures like nucleic acids, right? Uh, DNA, RNA, uh, proteins, and so on. And, and the idea is that some of these building blocks of cells have bombarded the earth during the, the area of heavy meteor showers where meteorites contain these kind of cellular structures. And they've measured this on meteors where you can, you can take meteorites that crash into earth and you can look at them and they happen to have cellular structure components on them. They'll have DNA, RNA, and so on. So then they started looking at what organisms that exist today could have made an interstellar journey and have enough stability through the vacuum of space to actually seed cellular life on earth. And then they took bacillus endospores into space for seven years as a research study in outside, in the vacuum of space, in the cold vacuum of space, and they were able to survive interstellar, interstellar journey for seven years, right? So these are amazing space microbes that have been uh, on this Earth probably since the origin of Earth itself and billions of years before humans ever came along, right? So they've been here. They know the rules. They wrote the rules on cellular communication. So why did we hone in on them and what makes them different? Um, what's really interesting about them is that when you find the right type of bacilli, and they're not all the same, you can find a bacillus subtilis 
for example, that doesn't really do much as a probiotic, even though it's a bisulosuptilis, because it's adapted for different environments, right? These organisms are pretty ubiquitous. They live on every corner of the earth. They found them in glacial ice cores in the Tibetan plateaus. They found them in glacial ice cores in the South Pole, in the North Pole. They are in every corner of the earth with, with pretty good abundance in undisturbed environments, but they adapt to the environment that they're in. And so when you find a bacillus that's in a remote environment like that, it's not necessarily going to function as a probiotic in your GI tract because it doesn't know the human GI tract, right? It hasn't, it hasn't had the millions of years of coevolution with humans uh, to understand the GI tract. But when you do find a bacillus that has that, a bacillus that has been going and cycling through the human GI tract for millions of years, what you find is an organism that has developed a certain level of intelligence to understand better what a balanced microbiome looks like in our GI tract than we can understand, right? And the reason for that is this is a pro- this occurs through a process of symbiogenesis. Symbiogenesis is the forced symbiotic development of organisms that are through ge- geographic or other forces are forced to coexist in the same environment, right? And over time, what tends to happen when you force different organisms together is they find a way to work things out because everybody wants to survive. And so when we uh, evolved as a species, we, we kept consuming organisms inadvertently because we ate off the land. We ate dirt. We drank water out of rivers and streams. We killed animals and ate their guts. We did all kinds of stuff, right? We dug for, for roots and tubers. So we got huge amounts of exposure to environmental bacteria. The vast majority of those environmental bacteria do not survive through the gastric system because the gastric system is designed to kill microbes. But these spores with their armor-like coating have an incredible way of surviving through this digestive tract. So as they've survived through, we've allowed them to actually inhabit our GI tract with an exchange that they police and monitor the GI tract if they're given a chance to survive in there. So over time, what has happened is our constant consumption of bacillus endospores from the environment has created some of them to develop this probiotic-like function where when we consume them, they go in the gut, they protect the gut, they read the microbial environment, they do a bunch of amazing things that we'll talk about. Uh, and then at the end of the day, we poop them out in a couple of weeks, they go back in the environment and they look for their next host, right? So that's the origins and the history of bacillus endospores. And the reason we targeted them was because they are nature's probiotic. We have this thing, this mindset, and I have this mindset, especially as a microbiologist, is that we can't outsmart nature, right? We can't, and that's what synthetic chemistry and pharmaceutical approaches and all that have been trying to do for hundreds of years. They've been trying to outsmart nature. You just look at, you know, formula, baby formula, right? Since the late 1800s, these companies have been spending billions of dollars to try to develop baby formula that mimics mother's milk, and they still can't do it. You cannot mimic mother's milk biologically, right? It's got over 200 different oligosaccharide prebiotics in it. It's got hundreds of different species of probiotic bacteria. It's got a nutritional composition that we can't recreate Mm -hmm. despite the 110 years we've been working on it with some of the biggest biotech and, and science companies in the world, right? We can't 
imitate mother nature in that way. So our philosophy is we can't try to outsmart nature, right? What we should do is try to identify what nature has already created for us as a probiotic or a prebiotic or whatever it may be, study it, understand how it works, and then utilize that, right? So that's why we honed in on the spores, because to us, they are mother nature's probiotic that's been here for millions of years. What's going on, guys? It is Detective Ev here, popping in really quick. If you're listening to this episode thinking, wow, I would love to go help people do functional medicine stuff, I would love to have access to discounts on wonderful products like the ones offered by Microbiome Labs. Well, I got good news for you. You're listening to The Right Podcast. What you want to do is go to fdntraining.com slash try FDN, and you'll be able to try the FDN course completely for free, no credit card required. That's fdntraining.com slash try FDN to try the course completely for free. And then when you're ready to sign up, you just let us know and we'll get you enrolled. That's fdntraining.com slash try FDN. Okay, back to the episode. Wow, that, dude, you got you to gotta go on, man, with the speaking and just, I, I can't believe that you have the <laughs> ability you. for both because, well, normally it's a trade-off. I can speak, yeah. but the level of research that you do would not really be my thing. And then I have a, a brilliant chemist friend who, I mean, you could do research all day, but he doesn't necessarily have the gift of sharing that information, right? Him and I yeah. would have to be like a team. You're like a, a combo package. It's like both of us did water something. <laughs> Thank so, you. Very cool. But, but that is actually, it was a great buildup for that because all those things from the space to the, hey, finding this 250 million years ago, it really does build up to the resiliency of the things that you guys are choosing to use, the stranger choosing yeah. to use and why they're in these products. Now, just so... I can play kind of devil's advocate here. Obviously, and I'm not going to mention any product names. When I go to my yeah. health food store, it's 15 minutes away. I could go to their fridge and they're going to have all these probiotics. And I'm sure that a lot of those companies did research and you know they're not trying to waste money. They're certainly not trying to hurt people, right? But right. they have to put in like, the, again, like these 100 CFU, 100 million CFU, you'll see this and stuff. And it's like, wow, that's that's incredible. Whereas you guys have such a smaller amount. So I'm already thinking if I'm the listener, okay, clearly you guys are able to get away with a seemingly smaller amount. And for those not on video, I'm using air quotes because it's not actually smaller because it seems like it's actually getting into the body. Do they have to use these mega doses because so much of it's just being killed off? Yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. And I'll give you uh, a little bit of insight onto product development in many of these companies because, you know, prior to starting Microbiome Labs, I was a scientific consultant for many companies in our space where I would actually help them develop products or advise them on developing products. So this is how it normally goes. Uh, and keep in mind that most supplement companies out there aren't aren't don't have a scientific team within the company, right? Most supplement companies are marketing-based companies. They're driven by marketing people um, and and they're founded by marketing people. And so they don't have in-house science groups and they they work with people like myself to try to help them uh, support them on the science. And and the vast majority of companies, I think, mean well. There are some companies that are pretty egregious and and are really just trying to make a buck, right? Uh, They are out there, but even the companies that mean well, right? So... Here's, here's how they go about it. It's really marketing that drives their formulation work. So I've sat in meetings before where a company is talking about the next, the probiotic they want to develop and they'll go, okay, we want 50 billion CFUs and 17 strains. That's their target. And then my first response is going to be why? Like, how did you come up with 50 and why 17? Like, what is that arbitrary number? And then the reason is because the company that they fight for market share with, Um, whether it's on the shelf or online, 
has, you know, 11 strains and 30 billion CFU. So they want to be a little bit more than them. They want to position a potency uh, claim over their competitor, but they want to be at the same price point. So now because they're trying to be at the same price point as 10 strains or 12 strains at 30 billion CFUs, they actually have to get lower quality strains because the price per kilo goes down, which means you can do 50 billion at the same price of 30 billion, right? That's how the conversations go. Now, the more sophisticated companies will say, we want to put in at least two or three research strains so that we can speak to some science. And we'll go, and my response has always been, well, that's good. I'm, I love that they're looking at strains that have some research on them. But I also explained to them that you can't necessarily take two, three, four strains that have research separately on their own, combine them together, and then, and then throw in a couple other ones to get to 17, 18, 20 strains and assume they still function the same, right? Because th this is not a small molecule. It's not like a vitamin. It's not a magnesium, right? This is a living entity that has thousands of genes that makes millions of proteins it, and, it, and it changes how it behaves based on its environment. And so if it's mixed up with seven other strains or 10 other strains, it's likely going to behave differently than when it was by itself. And for that reason, it's a big leap to go, this strain has some research, that strain has some research, let's mix the two of them together and then add a few more things and then say this is a research-based product. It's mm -hmm. not. When it comes to biological material like that, you have to study the finished product in its finished form to really understand what it does, right? So, and then the whole idea of refrigeration. That So one of, one of the projects that actually kicked my world off into the world of probiotics, this was uh, prior to starting Microbiome Labs. This was, uh, I think it was 2010. I had a research company. Uh, we had a big uh, multinational company approach us to, to ask us to help guide them in development of probiotic, actually. Um, and they were looking for us to do research on other products, competitive products, to see how they are positioned in the marketplace. Um, you know, because they were confused. They were like, do we do refrigerated, non-refrigerated? Do we do 100 billion CFU? What dose do we go after, right? They were actually trying to understand the science aspect of it. So one of the first things I started doing is going to health food stores to try to get recommendations <laughs> from the clerk, like, what would you take if you were trying to get a good probiotic? They would always point me towards a refrigerator. And I kept thinking to myself, like, why these bacteria in the refrigerator, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. And then you start digging into it. You call the companies. You come to find out that the reason they're in the refrigerator is because the CFU counts drop from the label claim as they sit on the shelf, right? And some of these companies got sued by class action lawyers who would just go and pick up the product from the shelf, test it and go, ha the label says 50 billion. There's only 20 billion. You've sold this in 25 states. Here's a class action lawsuit for false advertising and blah, 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 right? So then they'd have to settle out of court for millions of dollars. So these companies said, okay, we're going to put way more than 50 billion if that's the label claim and you put it in the refrigerator, it'll maintain the CFU count through the end of shelf life. That's the only reason to do it. But that also indicates that those bacteria at the comfortable temperature of 70 degrees, which is the room temperature, they're dying pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Then the question I ask, what happens when you put it in your body at 98.6 degrees, yeah. right? Does it have any chance of survival at all? And sure enough, one of the first things we did for that research was we took 40 of the top retail probiotic products, 
and we tested them and we put them through gastric simulation and all of them died in, in physiological conditions, right? Just obliterated these, these probiotics. So but the vast majority of what you get out there is just kind of dead bacteria moving through, right? You're getting back lots and lots of bacterial debris. So the dosage that they're claiming is completely nonsensical, right? It doesn't matter if you go to the retail store and you buy a 20 billion product or a hundred billion product or 200 billion product. None of those have any real good scientific rationale behind them. You know, most probiotic studies, if you look at the literature, are done on single strains at two to three billion CFUs. That's a vast majority of literature. Very, very little has been done on 50 billion, 100 billion or more than that. So it's it's really marketing, unfortunately. And that was part of our impetus of coming into the market. It's just, it's uh, it's sad to me that this is still a thing. And I, I thank God mm-hmm. because, well, I think this comment would be well-received uh, well by this community. I'll word it as I think there's a shift in consciousness right, happening yeah. right now where people are done with the sleazy salespeople. They're done totally. with like, getting shrewd by companies. And good really is prevailing, right? Because it, it works for you guys. It's working mm-hmm. for FDN where you stay the course. You sell something legitimate. No one has any problem buying things. People think, oh, it's the sales. It's not that. People have problems getting screwed over and ripped off. They don't have a problem giving you your money. We give people money every single day, multiple times usually. It's about what am I getting for this transaction? And I'm glad that there's companies like yours out there. Hey, maybe we won't have the 100 billion CFU thing and look all fancy, but we're doing the right thing. And it speaks for itself. What was it? 80 something percent of these initial sales were coming from Mm -hmm. people talking to colleagues. So you can't beat results. If something's no. working consistently, I mean, the reason that you guys continue to get an order every single uh, few months, because she gets the big one from my mom, is simply because she knows how well this works and feels it in her body still to this day. And this exactly. is someone, you know, ton, ton of antibiotics, got her thyroid removed. So she she really benefits from these things, Kira. And it's cool that she has access to it. But we used to, before we knew better, eight years ago, we were going to that health food store and buying this stuff. And it was kind yeah. of a, it was a hit or miss. Like, I, I think that did something. And then you buy it the next time. Like, ah, this isn't doing anything. Okay, we, let, let's get it again, right? But now this yeah. like, obviously uh, makes a difference. And wow, man, you're like a, a two podcast guy. You're a wealth of information. So I want to make sure <laughs> I get at least to the main stuff today that's going to affect, again, our practitioners. Uh, yeah. One of the things I think is most ordered by the people in our space is something that you guys have called the Total Gut Restore. It's yeah. a no brainer for those listening. And I, I believe I mentioned this in the beginning, but just to be clear for the trainees, when you graduate from FDN, you are going to have a wholesale account basically with Microbiome Labs. You're going to get discounts on this stuff. You can order large quantities and get uh, bigger discounts. And you can deliver this to your clients in that way. Or if you have an in-store uh, somewhere, you're able to do that, like a, a office maybe that you do your coaching in or whatever it might be. So pay attention to this stuff because it's, it's pretty cool that you could sell people this, make some great money doing it, and you're selling them something very legitimate, possibly the best thing that they've ever actually done for their gut. Because before this, again, they were running around the health food store knowing, uh, doing God knows what. <laughs> um, right. So how did um, we evolve from just, we have Megaspore. Okay, great. And now mm-hmm. there's tons of products. And again, we could spend 20 hours talking about all of them, I'm sure. But the Total Gut Restore is a full system where we're, we're utilizing Megaspore the entire time, but we're yeah. also doing some other things. So what are the other components of the Total Gut Restore? Who is this for? I'd love to hear um, everything you have about it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that, that's a great question because um, it really speaks to kind of our development mindset, right? When we look at product development, we're, we're never going to be one of those companies that has 200 SKUs and 
every single vitamin and things that you can think of, right? Uh, it's just not who we are in terms of how we operate. And so we were a single product company with just Megaspore for the first almost four or five years. Um, and the reason for that is we only develop products when we see a significant need for it. And, and if somebody else isn't already doing it well, right? In, in areas where somebody else is doing a great job with the product and there's some great digestive enzymes out there. That's why we've never developed a basic digestive enzyme. So we don't need to. Um, other people are doing it well. And so, you know, we, we started looking from a physiological standpoint or disease pathology standpoint, where are the big gaps in how we are dealing with people's gut issues and then thereby systemic issues. So we introduced the spores. We know very well what the spores are doing in the gut. We know that they are competing against opportunistic and pathogenic organisms. So they're helping bring down that load and the toxicity that goes along with that. We know that they're enhancing the growth of commensals and keystone species, which are critical to rebuilding the gut in general. Uh, we also know that they produce things like short chain fatty acids, lactic acid, other beneficial byproducts that support a healthy gut. Um, so that started becoming a, a really good picture on its own. But as we start digging into disease pathology, we started seeing that um, we were missing some steps for people that really wanted to restore their gut. People like your mom, for example, which actually represents the majority of people that have had multiple courses of antibiotics, may have had parts of their system removed, you know, whether it's their, their gallbladder, you know, had resections of the bowel, even having your tonsils removed at some point. Um, people that have had, uh, you know, poor food choices and lifestyle choices for years on end. That's just the average American, unfortunately, right? And then we continue to feed the American, the standard American diet. We, we end up with what we call the standard American gut, which is a severely dysbiotic gut, meaning that there's low diversity, low levels of keystone species, and uh, high levels of opportunistic organisms, right? Which, which may or may not be driving a huge problem, but certainly not helping the individual at all. Now, a consequence of that is that mucosal layer in the digestive tract becomes diminished significantly. Mm -hmm. It gets eaten away and it's not functioning the way it's supposed to. And then eventually the intestinal epithelial cells, the one that the mucosal layer is supposed to be protecting, that the, that the beneficial microbes you know, are supposed to be protecting as well, that intestinal epithelial layer gets damaged over time and becomes leaky and dysfunctional. So we then started looking at, okay, what kind of conditions does this standard American gut drive? Um, and we come to find out when you look through all the literature and you map out all the pathology that this kind of standard American gut dysfunction drives the vast majority of chronic illnesses. Right. And and I used to get this question very commonly, uh, like seven, eight years ago from practitioners. It's like, hey, how do I know what's wrong with my patient's gut who has diabetes versus my patient's gut who has allergies versus my patient's gut who has anxiety? Right. These are three seemingly unrelated conditions that affect different parts of the body and affect patients in different way. Uh, you know, a trained practitioner knows that the microbiome plays a role in all of these but what they hard, what's hard for them to understand is what is wrong in each of those guts, right? Sure. And what to do about each one then. Like, how do I treat my autoimmune gut versus my anxiety gut? The answer is you actually treat them the exact same way because it's the same issue 
in both of those or all of those conditions that drives their conditions. It's an underlying driver of chronic low-grade inflammation. So what we figured out is, okay, we see where the pathology goes wrong, and we need to reverse that and start rebuilding the different sections of the gut lining in order to restabilize and recondition that entire system. So it takes first a fixing of the microbiome, which is through the megaspore. The megaspore, as I mentioned, competes with the bad ones, increases the good ones, increases keystone species, starts the production of short-chain fatty acids going up. The second step is we need to reinforce this new microbiome the individual is seeing, right? So we needed to create these new prebiotics, but oligosaccharides that were highly specific to feed keystone species. That was the whole idea behind it. And so we came up with this mega pre-product that has these oligosaccharides clinically shown to feed uh, keystone species. So now you're starting to regrow the bacteria that actually rebuild the gut lining. Then we give that new bacteria in the third step, all the tools that they need to rebuild the gut mucosa and the lining, which are four critical amino acids, polyphenols, and then, and then IgG as well. When you look at just those three components, they each have studies on their own. And then we've done a study on them combined to show that they become the essential building blocks of that entire gut barrier structure. So the total gut restoration is really a way of looking at the most predominant dysfunction in the standard American gut and in a very systematic way, rebuilding it and reversing that damage, right? So it's applicable for virtually everybody that uh, an FDN would see. I'm so excited because uh, I started a light therapy studio where I do some functional mm-hmm. medicine stuff this uh, past year. Now, we literally started in March. I really I live in Pennsylvania, so you get it, Chicago, yeah. right? Like terrible oh, yeah. in the winter. I really wanted this to be open just nine months out of the year, but we're like, okay, right. let's let's give it a go. And so as the fall comes, um, I wanted to stack my place with supplements, and I got the wholesale things for, and I'm so excited to be offering our people the total gut restore thing. It's going to be like on the shelves, literally uh, selling it to people in there or including awesome. it in membership. So, well, because you know what? It's like, it, it's like you said, I do believe, I mean, we do a lot of testing here and I, I do think that our practitioners are trained very well. Uh, I do believe there can be some nuances in how the gut is addressed, mostly mm-hmm. depending on like the pathogenic type of bacteria or uh, parasites even that they've gotten in there, right? If someone has sure. blasto, I, I do think we can lessen it, but sometimes it's helpful to get it out. I'm, I'm not here to debate that anyway. Total gut restore is absolutely going. I've never had it given to someone that it didn't help. That's for sure. Yeah, and you and, can absolutely bolt on other therapies to it, right? So the idea is that it's it's working on the foundational dysfunction that occurs. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you have patients with other you know, uh, aspects to it, like you said, they might have SIBO, they might have, you know, blast. So they may have other things that you may bolt on other therapeutics to the process. Um, that totally works as well. We have, for example, um, you know, patients with really bad, uh, candida that we will put them on the total gut restorations, but we'll add in antifungals as well. Right. So to parts of it, so you can absolutely play with it. It just, it becomes foundational and then you can add on to it as needed for the patient. I, I really, actually, I, it seems simple, but I appreciate you specifying that because to our trainees who might be new to this world, when they hear, because you didn't mean it this way, but when they hear, oh, the total gut restoration, all of these things, uh, all those conditions you mentioned can be addressed the same, they might yeah. be like, well, wait a second, aren't we supposed to be testing and looking at different things? So this is, that's where the line gets drawn, guys. What we're yeah. saying here is the total gut restore fundamentally is going to be good for everyone. But yes, there might be these small little differences and 
right, Candida or a Parasite or whatever. So we can add on things, but TGR is going to be something that's uh, pretty solid for everyone. Now, one thing that always comes up with our practitioners, and I understand that there's probably there's probably some legality behind this, so I'll uh, I'll word this correctly. In the um, the second phase, right, of TGR, mm-hmm. the prebiotics, you have something on the bottom that says this contains corn and dairy. Yeah. Now, I am sensitive to both. It has never bothered me. Right. Hypothetically, let's say you had a corn and dairy sensitivity. Would you hypothetically be worried about that? I know that because, again, I know that you guys have to put that legally on, but people don't understand yeah. that that doesn't necessarily mean there's the proteins in this product. So would you be worried about that if you had sensitivities to those things? No, not at all. And and the reason for that is because the, the, the proteins aren't present in there. Um, so the the uh, only one of the oligosaccharides does come from uh, from dairy. But, you know, when when you separate out the carbohydrate component from the protein component, you actually remove all of the casein and caseinates and all the things that actually cause the dairy sensitivity. And then you isolate these really complex carbohydrate structures, then it's purified goes through all kinds of filtration and so on. Um, and, and carbohydrates and proteins separate very easily, right? Cause they're, they're, um, their molecular weights and all that are very different. Um, so, so there isn't any in there, but, uh, from a, from a legal standpoint, as you mentioned, you have to mention the origin side of it. Uh, the corn side is, um, you know, another thing that the, the oligosaccharide, the xylo oligosaccharide, which is actually a really amazing product and ingredient even on its own, uh, I think there are maybe nine published studies on just that ingredient alone, if not including our studies on the combined ingredients, uh, comes from the inner corn cob. Um, so again, there's no corn proteins or anything in there. It comes from the cob on the inside where there are these small amounts of very resistant starches um, that are loaded with these oligosaccharides. Um, so there is no you know, uh, risk for sensitive people. Thousands upon thousands of sensitive people use it all the time. Um, the only thing we always say, and this is out of, out of huge abundance of caution, if for some reason you're anaphylactic with dairy or anaphylactic with corn, then you you know take it easy, be cautious, try, try a small amount. Uh, but if you're sensitive, there should be no issue at all. Thank you. Yeah, and I that's a the explanation I've been looking for for five years. <laughs> yeah. I, I did get this from a rep one time and they explained it well, but it's just cool to hear it from you because yeah. inevitably our trainees, the new people, right? They haven't done this yeah. yet. They go through, oh, microbiome labs, this is great. Whoa, total gut restore. It's the first thing that they're attracted to and they do it. And then they say, wait a second, corded dairy. Like we don't do that. And I'm like, guys, you got to think a little bit outside the box. Like you really think that they would be putting that just directly in. Um, So this is one of those times where, I'm all for labeling of like GMOs and all these things, yeah. but it's one of those times where labeling probably is actually a more not so helpful than it's it is helpful. It's more productive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It's a if, bit if, misleading. So if something careful, has dairy but... proteins in it, you should label it for people that are sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. But if something comes from dairy and all of that's been removed and all that, then this, you know, and, and there's all this evidence for it, there's, it doesn't make any sense, but yeah. That's Beautiful. Where, All right. So well, we that's... got a few minutes left. Um, so one thing I just want to ask, and I know that you guys are always working on something. It seems I can't believe yeah. the the amount that you're buffing out now. I mean, every time I go to the website, there's something new and, and something really cool. So I don't know. Maybe I should word it as to the degree that you're able to share. Is there yeah. anything that you guys are working on right now that you're super excited about? 
Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a number of things. So, um, you know, most recently we came out with our psychobiotic, right, uh, which is called Zen Biome. Um, this strain is just, it blows my mind every time I look at our research around it. We've got eight published studies on it, um, reducing cortisol, reducing perception of stress, improving mood significantly, and as well as improving sleep. It also um, changes brainwave function, which is just mind-boggling. So this microbe can bind to receptors in your gut, shoot neurotransmitters up to your brain and put you in more of a theta wave band, uh, which is the type of band that we're trying to get to through meditation practices and, you know, mind-body practices and so on. So it's amazing that this probiotic can do that. We're coming out with a product that has a cousin to that strain, uh, which is also a bifidobacterium. Uh, it is also an exopolysaccharide strain, which makes it, which is what makes it unique. But this species has around 10 studies on it on IBS symptomology, right? So controlling the crazy peristaltic activity, the, uh, the the jumps in the bowel, the irritability of the bowel through utilizing this bacteria, but it does it through controlling inflammatory response and neurological response in the gut. And what what we what we're doing is we're combining the two. We're having this um, this irritable bowel type of bacteria combined with the uh, gut brain psychobiotic. To, to have this, this IBS mood product. Um, and the reason for that is when you look at the statistics, um, around 52 to 55% of people with IBS have confirmed anxiety. When you compare that to the regular population of less than 19%, right, of, of age match individuals, which means that if you have IBS, you're almost two and a half times more likely to have some degree of anxiety as well. They go hand in hand. Right. Uh, and so with the two strains, we're actually doing a one-two punch on the two dysfunctions that are related, but yet slightly different uh, to be able to help with people who struggle with GI distress like that, who also having an, uh, anxiousness to, to tackle both of those with mm -hmm. one fell swoop. That's super exciting to us um, to be able to do that. And combined, they have, you know, 18 something published studies together. So yeah. it's a, uh, a lot of science behind it. That's one of the very exciting ones coming out. Awesome, man. I, I, my, I had physical health stuff, and don't get me wrong, that was serious. But uh, my main story, one of the things that got me into functional medicine, Kieran, was uh, severe mental health issues from about yeah. 5 to 19, 20 years old. And, I mean, it was pretty serious stuff. You know, I didn't graduate high school. I'm pretty transparent about it. And to just think how many things there are out now. I love being able to share this with people. I know this isn't a cure-all and you're not suggesting that, mm -hmm. but it's a very powerful tool, man. And Absolutely. one of the ways that I always try to connect this idea for people, because some people, they believe me, they believe my story, but they're a little skeptical when I say, well, I don't take any medications for this stuff anymore. Yeah. And I haven't dealt with a panic attack in six years. Like I don't deal with it. They're like, come on, really? And I actually referenced that exact same thing that you just talked about with the IBS because correlations not causation i get that but my god come on like sometimes you got to look at something and say totally this is pointing in a certain direction we need to use our heads a little bit um so i, I digress it's just i appreciate you bringing that up and maybe i should try that product even though i feel good it'd still be kind of cool i've never tried that totally you guys all right so for trainees out there that are thinking about because i'm going to ask you now where to get these things uh, yeah. for trainees what you're going to want to do is get connected with your fdn mentor all right and talk to them and they will show you at some point how to get connected with all these accounts after you're graduated and you'll be able to get hooked up with microbiome labs now of course we also have consumers that listen kieran that are just really interested mm -hmm. in health and they'll probably never be an fdn maybe they'll work with one but they might not be one so if i'm a consumer um i'm really interested in this i'm like wow this guy knew his stuff where can i get these products as a consumer what's the best way to do that 
Yeah, you know, if you uh, just do a Google search, a lot of our uh, clinicians, our FDN partners do sell the product on their websites. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can gain access from them uh, for at, at a retail value. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, um, uh, you can also come to our website, which is microbiomelabs.com. There is a find a practitioner portal on there where you can put in your zip code and it'll list for you all the practitioners that, that have opted to list their practices and, and their connecting, uh, connect uh, information in order for you to be able to understand and access the products through them as well. So just do a Google search or, and or uh, come to our website and put in your, your zip code. Very cool. I, I highly encourage the find a practitioner thing, guys, solely because, you know, there's going to be people out there that might be smaller time people and, and you're supporting them mm -hmm. and supporting the company. I think that's a very cool feature that you have. Now, Perfect. Kieran, we'll finish up today uh, with the signature question that, well, I'll sorry too. Do you have um, social media personally where people can follow you? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to engage with people as much as I can on social media because if I can provide anyone direction for their health, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I don't see <laughs> clients, of course, but I'm happy to point them in the direction of science. Uh, my Instagram handle is Kieran Biome, so K-I-R-A-N-B-I-O-M-E. And on Facebook, you can reach me at Kieran Krishnan. I think if you just type that in, you'll see. Um, so yeah, please do uh, try to reach out. I, I try to engage as much as I can. Cool. Don't worry. Your social media handles is not the signature question. Uh, the signature <laughs> question to, to wrap up is if we could give Kieran a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health or stop doing one thing, what is the one thing that Kieran would get them to do? Oh, um, that's a great question. Um, this might sound biased, but but I would genuinely have them take a research spore-based probiotic. I think the impact that these microbes have on your system um, keeps surprising us. Uh, you know, every time we look at it, every time we do a new study, um, it just baffles us the kinds of impact that they can make on your system because not only are they themselves producing things and changing things and creating things, that impact your health in a positive way, uh, but they're but they're also influencing the rest of your microbiome to become more commensal, more beneficial, and all that. So that can can be a sea of change for people uh, with their health. So although it seems biased, that's one thing uh, I would do. Um, the second thing, uh, a thing that I would ask them to stop doing um, is you know stop getting misguided information on health. You know, one of the unfortunate things about the internet is that anyone can be on there talking about anything, giving any kind of advice, right? Uh, and more often than not, people who are qualified, people who have the background, who understand science and health and, and so on, are trying to undo misinformation that have baked that people have been baked into their brains, and so follow somebody who's trained. Follow an FDN, right? Follow a, a nutritionist. Follow an RD, um, you know, or, or or doctor of some sort that seems to be trained in the field. So have a little bit more discernment about whose information you look at, um, and then and then try to get all your supplement advice and knowledge from people who know how to vet this stuff. Right. So and that's one of the reasons why we love working with the practitioner community, because we think most people should be buying their supplements through practitioners. Right. right? So so we don't want you to waste your time or take the wrong thing and maybe take something that's unsafe or get one of those 
eat 100 billion CFU probiotics in the refrigerator, they're just going to die in your stomach anyway, right? So you're just wasting your time. Um, so listen to programs like this, you know, share programs like this with people you know, so that people can get really good vetted information. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for today's episode with Kieran Krishnan, co-founder of Microbiome Labs and microbiologist himself. If you're interested in following him, you already know where to go. You can check the show notes and we will have the links there in case you forgot. And if you're interested in pursuing the FDN course, go to fdntraining.com slash try FDN. Finally, if you enjoy this information that we're sharing, all these episodes twice a week so consistently, we would greatly appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star there and Spotify as well. It is so funny. You guys are amazing. I'm not complaining. But Apple has like all these great reviews and then Spotify has nothing. People are going to think that no one listens to this thing. So I don't know how that has happened over time, but we would love it if you left us a review on Spotify as well. Please and thank you. I am looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. I will be back again with another interview. But until then, please take care.